Hello, hello, and welcome to FSU Conversation, where we highlight FSU School of Communication, its students, alumni, and happenings in the industry. We're your hosts, Andy Mastanduno and McKinnon Bell. I'm a graduate student in Media Communication Studies. And I'm a senior currently working towards a public relations degree. And we're both directors ambassadors for the School of Communication. On this episode of FSU Conversation, we are spotlighting Dr. Arthur Rainey and Dr. Laura Arpan in a special farewell episode. Thank you both so much for being here today. Alrighty, so to start us off, we wanted to take an untraditional route to introductions here and have you both introduce the other person. I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Arthur Rainey. He's a professor in the School of Communication. He teaches and studies media, entertainment, and morality. He is, uh, by his own um, declaration, an excellent parallel parker. And from my observation, uh, a fantastic chef. Ooh, a chef. Although he would say he's a cook. Uh, he doesn't like to be called yeah. a chef. Dr. Arpan, what's your favorite dish that he makes? Um, my favorite dish is when he makes me fried chicken, which oh. he does for special occasions. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not, you know, Southern it's not, it's know not fancy food. Things. Yeah, but it's good. <laughs> I like, love myself fried chicken. Yeah, yeah me well, too. Come on over, Andy. Although, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. In a Laura, heartbeat. Laura tends not to share. Not fried chicken. She, she likes the leftovers. Yeah. And this is Dr. Laura Arpin. She is the Theodore Clevenger Professor of Communication in the School of Communication at Florida State University. He teaches and researches uh, persuasion, uh, attitude formation, particularly around uh, issues of the, the environment and energy. He is a fantastic, amazing, the world's best travel planner ever, <laughs> only surpassed by uh, her travel companionship. Um, yep, she's also the, the best puppy mom that has ever lived on the planet <laughs> and our Labrador Retriever Bosco would tell you that if he could speak. <laughs> Thank and you. Those are fantastic introductions. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wish to add on top of um, what's already been introduced? I would say I'm also pretty adept at finding the correct container that leftovers should go in. <laughs> Although I, I, I seem to have passed that along to my son and his, his skills in that area now surpass mine. That's quite a skill. Well, I, I think either one of us could be in the Olympics for that, right? <laughs> Choosing the right container um, for, for leftovers. You both seem to know each other really well. Those were some pretty solid introductions, you know? <laughs> um, so could you tell us more about how you both became professors within the School of Communication? Well, I think uh, the year we came in, there were three positions available. No, three needs, two positions. We weren't married at the time. We were actually effectively competing because uh, there were lots of um, 
different people and, and they just decided they'd take kind of the two best fit. Um, my sister, my younger sister was here at the time, uh, completing a degree in uh, modern dance and also business. So I was interested to be uh, in the same town with her. Uh, and at the time I thought I wanted to stay in, in the Southeast because of weather. Agreed. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's when I thought um, Tallahassee didn't really have to worry about hurricanes. Yeah, so there. <laughs> we ended up uh, we ended up both being hired. Uh, there were, you know, also some people here. I think who we each wanted to work with. Yeah, yeah. I think that probably for me, I was teaching at Indiana University in Bloomington, um, and I grew up in in the South, and so kind of wanted to be a little closer to family. Uh, but there were some some people here. Uh, doing some things that I was really interested in joining in on. And so uh, that's the reason I applied. Uh, but uh, Laura and I knew each other because we were both students at the University of Alabama in the PhD program. And I knew that she had applied. And when I found that out, I was like, oh, there's no way they're going to hire me <laughs> because I knew that I, I knew they were going to hire her. <laughs> but yeah, so we, we actually were competing against each other. Uh, for these two jobs, and by hook or by crook, or just by dumb blind luck, we ended up both getting them. That's fantastic. Aww. Yeah, no, that's amazing, and I'm sure it's got to be fun getting to work to together in the same kind of university and stuff. And have you guys, um, with your research publications, you've worked on publications together? Mm -hmm. A few. Yeah, we've worked on several projects together, right? But really, kind of earlier in our career, and, and our not that our interests diverged, but I started writing in a particular area, and Laura kind of started writing in particular areas. And uh, but yeah, some of our early uh, work was was absolutely together, and it was a lot was kind of fueled by when we got here. There were quite a few doctoral students who kind of wanted to work with both of us, and so we put together several projects that that kind of that we both could work on with those uh, with those doctoral students. Um, but yeah, it's not always easy or fun working in the same place too, right? Because yeah. sometimes we we get along incredibly well, but sometimes we disagree about things related to work. And so that can be fun at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you never, you know, we talk about work too much. Right? Yeah. Sometimes we have to intentionally, quite often we have to intentionally say, we're going to stop talking about work now and have at least one meal where we talk about just each other or things of interest to us outside yes. of work. So, yeah, it, it easily spills over into, uh, into our personal time together. Uh, but sometimes that's fine. Yeah. And you, you always know you can empathize, right? So you always know what the other person is going through. Absolutely. So that's helpful. I was actually funny. Uh, we talked about this because I was actually going to ask how, what your opinions on having a partner within the same profession has actually impacted your professional development. So you guys hit the question before we even asked it. That's yeah. impressive. <laughs> well, yeah. so um, it's good. We can help each other out. I mean, that's a nice thing too, we, because we both do the same kind of research. We both do experimental research. And so we're having a design question. Uh, we can talk to each other. If we're having a, an analysis or a statistics question, we just 
yell to each other from the other end of the house. And that that's helpful. And it, it has, you know, I don't know that people realize how stressful it is to be a professor at a research institution. It's incredibly stressful. And having somebody who understands exactly where that stress comes from and, and you know, thinks about different ways to deal with it, that, that's been really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, for me in particular, Laura and I have different strengths, right? And, I, and so I'm much more kind of a theory person and she's both a theory and a methods person. She's a much better methods person than I am. And so I, one of my opening lines typically when I slink into her office here at the house when I know she's working, but I desperately need to ask her a question, is, can I borrow your beautiful mind, <laughs> uh, at least for just for a minute? But, and because I know that she she's going to uh, be able to give me the answer that that is the right one for the problem that I'm facing. And, and that, is a, that is a gift that uh, I get repeatedly uh, over and over again. And, and it's one that I surely don't take for granted. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's fantastic being able to work together. Uh, and I echo the, right, Laura's mission about the support that we're able to give one another and understanding, and not only just understanding what we're going through, but understanding kind of the ebb and flow of the way that, <laughs> a university works and the way that the semester unfolds and we kind of both know when students are cranky because and why they're cranky and that leads us to be cranky but we know why we're cranky now right and so just from a, just from a kind of a relationship management standpoint right and kind of working on life together it's, it's it is really helpful to know where the stressors are coming from when they're most likely to kind of crop up and it's it absolutely allows us to be more empathetic with one another and more patient with one another and say, hey, you know what? We're going to go out to dinner tonight because we deserve it. I don't know that we deserve it, but we need a break. Absolutely. And I also, Dr. Arpan, what you were saying, you both touched on this, but um, about the having someone who kind of understands that same stress is like, way it, it's so much more comforting almost and um my roommate actually we're in different fields i do pr and she's marketing but she understands so much of my field because it's so intertwined and i go to her all the time it's i feel like collaboration and asking other people should be a much more um I don't know, like it should be much more of an open thing, I feel like, because a lot of people have a hard time asking for help or asking other people like questions when I really do truly feel like sometimes just all you need to do is talk it out with another person so that it yeah. makes a little bit more sense in your own head. Um, so I, I really like that you you both touched on that. Yeah, no, I think we're, 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 we're both really fortunate to have each other as sounding boards, right? Because... Uh, well, she's kept me out of some of my worst ideas. And so that's, that's great. <laughs> and he's kept me from giving up entirely. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, on that topic of, you know, not giving up entirely and the research that you guys have <laughs> been able to produce over the years due to, I am kind of in awe of like this unwavering dedication to be able to put out research from both of you and, from professors in general at a research institution, that's always been the thing to me, like, 
looking at doctoral students and professors like one of the most daunting aspects of becoming a professor like I truly am in awe of how you guys manage to pursue and put out so much into the field and with that what is a research publication you've been a part of that has created the most impact either on you in your community or on you personally and this is a bit of a two-parter because we also are curious if it changed the way in which you previously thought about something so if you need a minute to think back to past research I know you both have a lot of <laughs> research and publications in your name so well I think for, for me uh, there there are a couple of different things that come to mind um, but I think some of the recent work that I've been doing thinking about how media in particular entertainment media can lead people to have really meaningful experiences, to think about their own life, to reconsider, you know, some of their own life choices, to understand the human condition better by kind of understanding how characters uh, go through them. And they can compare and contrast the way that they live their own lives or confront their own mortality or, you know, these or be inspired to try something new. Right? Entertainment can do that for all of us. And, and so I've been writing in that area for the last, I don't know, almost 10 years now eight or eight or so years, and so not one particular publication in general, but the writings that I've been doing there have, I think, introduced those ideas more broadly or helped introduce them to our field. And so there's a, I think there's an impact there. There's more people are writing about and thinking about from a scholarly perspective these things that for a long time we thought were not worthy of scholarly attention, right? Entertainment. Why, why would you study that? It's just what people do to, to unwind at the end of the day. Well, that's really important <laughs> from my perspective. And so I think it's, it's helped influence the field, but it's also kind of influenced my own thinking about the role of entertainment in my own life and the kind of things that I want to spend time consuming and that Laura and I want to spend time consuming together and talking about together afterwards. And so that, that, that line of my own research in, in eudaimonic media or meaningful media, in particular, the self-transcendent media stuff that I've been doing for the last couple of years is, has really impacted, I think, my own life and to at least to a certain extent had an impact on, on our field in a larger way. How do you not, like, overthink all of the media you consume then in entertaining? Like, how do you know when to stop, oh. just, like, turn your brain off? Or, like, is it always in work mode? Like, when you're watching things, you're like, oh, new idea. Yeah, for me, it's it's kind of always on. <laughs> you know, and it's, uh, it, it is, it's, it is, uh, whether it's leading me to think about a research project, typically not, but it's, it's, it does lead me to think about the way that we put narratives together, the experiences that I'm having, kind of the psychological processes that are at play, how they may be similar or different to what Laura's experiencing or what anybody else is experiencing, what the downstream kind of tomorrow effects might be in terms of what I'm thinking about or kind of contemplating or what I'm going to choose, the, the next movie that I'm going to choose and how this one is influencing that. Yeah, in McKinnon, it never stops. <laughs> It's just, it's just kind of, it's kind of a running script in my head, which, which actually I love, right? Because, uh, you know, it's, it's entertainment that I'm thinking about. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it could be something else. And so, so yeah, it's, it's always kind of running for me. 
<laughs> Thank you for Mara that. Mara says I work too much, but <laughs> I just can't turn it off. <laughs> and Dr. Arfan, what about you? Other than counting citations, it's kind of hard to, to know how influential, you know, you are. Um, I, if I had to guess, I would say probably the work I've done that I think has been most influential is actually my some of my first work on the uh, concept of stealing thunder and crisis communication, which is um, if you're uh, a person like a political figure or um, a organization and you've done something wrong, um, you go ahead and just admit it. You don't sit around and not say anything and hope nobody finds out or you don't wait until somebody finds out and asks you about it. Um, you disclose the wrongdoing proactively. And uh, what we find is when uh, people and organizations do that, um, they fare better in the end than if they had kind of uh, waited for somebody else to disclose that information or find it out. And I think, um, I think that's influenced the field of PR um, to, to a certain degree and in a way that I feel, feel good about because it's an argument for truth telling and for protecting people who need to be protected um, in, in many cases. And so I think that's, that's certainly um, work that I'm proud of. I did a few studies and went off in a different direction because I'm just always interested in too many topics. Um, but I would say that's the answer for me. And I think um, it's part of my approach to research is trying to figure out kind of effective strategies for communication in very applied settings. So I was interested in trying to figure out how to do good and ethical crisis communication at first. Uh, and now I'm more interested in trying to understand how to communicate effectively about uh, environmental issues uh, so that we do what needs to be done. Very different um, topic areas, but all kind of along the lines of let's, let's figure out what works and, and helps take care of people. As both of you being professors, do you ever assign your like research, like journals or articles or any of that to your students in your classes at all? <laughs> yeah, you know, like one, I typically, if you're lucky, you get to teach in the area that you do research in. And I think it's good for the students too, because then you're the expert and, and, and you have a good idea about how things work. And so if you're teaching those topics and you're an expert in the area, it's kind of hard to not assign yeah. your own work. Um, particularly too at the graduate level, I think it helps to do that because then um, students who get interested in it can then work with you on projects and that's how it, it flows a lot. But yeah, I do, it always feels a little weird and I'm always concerned about students feeling intimidated, you know, about when I ask questions. So I try to only have like, maybe one day, maybe two, depending on the topic area where they're reading something that I've uh, written or been a co-author on so that, you know, you don't want to seem too egotistical and you also don't want students to, to feel intimidated. But sometimes your own work is just the right work to assign on a given day. Of course. Yeah, Along uh, with other people's work. <laughs> right. Right, and I feel the same way. For, for, for the longest time, I, my answer to that, Andy, was, no, you know, I, I wouldn't assign my own work. You know, sometimes uh, there would be kind of a topic that students could work on and they would come up, 
I'm a, uh, you know, a pun, and it happened to be a topic that I'd written on, and they would come to me and say, oh, so I'm, I'm researching uh, kind of the appeal of anti-heroes. You've written some things on that, as if I didn't know it. Yeah, yeah, I, I actually, I actually have. But in the last couple of years, so I alluded to self-transcendent media, which is this particular types of, of experiences we have with media. Me and a few of my colleagues, we wrote the first textbook in this area that kind of deals with this, and we, under the larger heading of positive media psychology. And I teach a class at FSU called Positive Media Psychology. And so it kind of, if there's only one book and it's the name, the book name is the same as the class, I kind of felt like I have to, have to assign uh, in the class. Now, I didn't make everybody read all of it, and I gave it to them for free. I didn't make them buy it. I gave them, here's the PDF. But, uh, but yeah, I kind of... Um, uh, felt like that was that was one that I couldn't get around. Yeah, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to read Rainey and his friends on this one. <laughs> and friends, I like the and friends edition. We always have the uh, the at all, but I like it better as and friends. <laughs> at all, right? right. Yeah. And friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. um. So. For the both of you, what do you think drives your passion for research, and what do you hope to contribute more to the field of communication? I'm going to let you start with that. <laughs> well, I think yeah, I think I already gave my answer in response mm-hmm. to the last question. It's just trying to to find ways to communicate strategically and effectively. Uh, right now to, to get people to engage in behaviors that um, protect the environment and help mitigate climate change. That's definitely um, a, a passion that I have. And it's really difficult. Um, I think if you look at um, the way a lot of people in the United States and other countries are responding to this problem, it's, it's not enough. It's and, almost infuriating sometimes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And so as a researcher, my job is to try to understand why that is. And, and there are a lot of good reasons why people aren't doing what they need to do. There, there are a lot of those reasons are just related to be a, a regular human being. It's you know, to do what we need to do. We have to be uncomfortable or we have to ex- expend more effort or more money. And, and people in, in general don't like to do that or change their lifestyle or the way they think about things. And that's difficult. And so for me, the challenge is trying to figure out how to, how to appeal to those people and, and find out what's in it for them to make the changes and, and do that through research and then through messaging that, that we hope can, can make a little bit of a difference. It can't just be messaging alone. Uh, we need other things to happen too, but that that's certainly what's driving my work now. And I, it feels like it's never enough and it'll never be over. I have to say though, I really appreciate that that's where you're like dedicating your energy and research into. I'm also someone who really likes to examine how we communicate environmental issues. It can be so daunting sometimes. I think the amount of negativity, environmental doom frames that you encounter that almost feels hopeless or like as individuals, like you said, like, are we ever doing enough? And so I really appreciate that 
you are putting so much effort and research into figuring out how to make these conversations more effective and just all of it. I really appreciate that. So I just want to pop in and say that before yeah. Dr. Rainey hops in. Well, we need, we need <laughs> smart, creative young people to jump in there and, and be determined and keep going. And so good we need you. research like you yours to lead the way. That way. It <laughs> so helps having will, something to look to. It's going to take all of us. It will. Yes, I agree. Sorry, Dr. Rainey, didn't mean to steal your thunder there on your response. <laughs> no, no. It, uh, my... My ambitions are much more trivial and, <laughs> and not nearly as, not as socially important. Uh, no, and, and I've got, you know, uh, it's not just because she's my wife, but I think the work that Laura is doing now with international collaborators, uh, she's working with people all over the world trying to solve really difficult problems. And I, I am just daily in awe of how hard she works to try to to really follow this deep-seated passion that she has to to literally leave the world a better place than she found it and and so I I'm I, I join you McCann and I am just and so so uh, supportive and and uh, thankful for her commitment to that that kind of work uh, again my my ambitions and my approaches are much much more trivial. Um, I often fall back on, and now it's a, a way too old media reference when I think about my own work, but the, the movie Dead Poet Society. I love it. I don't it. know if you ever saw that movie. It's about oh, a, an, a high school English teacher in a boys prep school. But one of the exercises he has the students do is uh, stand on, each individually, walk up and stand on top of the desk and kind of look around the room, and, and, and everybody walks up and does that. And it, what he's pointing to is trying to get people to look at the, the world that they live in on a daily basis from a completely new perspective. And that's what I my work has tried to do in terms of the entertainment that we consume. Uh, we so readily jump on TikTok, we turn on the television, we turn on the listen to the radio, we grab something to read while we're waiting on our doctor appointment we entertain we live in an entertainment filled society and yet we spend so little time really thinking about uh, that which we consume the prophecy the psychological things that are going on while we're doing it what's leading us down to choose certain things why are we entertained by what we're entertained by and so my it's a it's very much a, a, an intellectual exercise it's, it's a philosophical exercise in many respects but it's trying to understand um, Right. Why, why we're entertained by what we are entertained by. But there is a deep-seated mission in my own mind, right, which is so that we then can be more literate and more intentional about that which we consume, right, and that we can actually use media, if you will, right, for, for our own betterment, for our own well-being, uh, and, and just to live more intentional lives with, uh, as, as people who enjoy being entertained. And so that's what, you know, ultimately I hope my work uh, explores and at some point somebody smarter than I can turn it into a, a way to help people. But that's, that's what I'm, I've been kind of thinking about for the last 25 years. <laughs> Dr. Rainey, you sold yourself short saying it was a trivial passion. That was that was selling yourself short before that answer for sure. 
I don't. I don't know. Well, again, it's it's all comparatively speaking, McKinnon, right? It's it's all comparatively speaking. So. Um, yeah, we yeah, look at think, we, we look at what so, they're doing I, in communication disorders, for example. Yeah. And, and every time we're on, you know, looking at their research, we both walk away and we go, "We're not doing anything important at all by comparison." Right. Right. They're right. Working I, with kids with autism to try to help them learn language development. You know, and this is happening in our college. And right, every time we serve on a college committee with them, and they introduce, "Here's what I'm doing." You know, people I, with I'm Alzheimer's, all recovering stroke problems. victims. Yeah, we're like, oh. yeah, well, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I think, okay. I watch. I watch TV. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm right there with you. And I think what you had said too about. Just perspective change, I think, is such an important thing that people should experience in life, like no, in no matter any field. I think it, that's one of the most important things, I think, with just like living is to have perspective change a little bit. And, and no matter the opinion of, of um, severity of the situation or field that it is, how necessary it is or important it is, I think as long as you're able to like get that shift to perspective, that's what's really important. And that's what matters at the end of the day. And both of your work. I think so too. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, well, and I, I often, and it, well, in particular in this positive media psychology class that I'm teaching now, I, I start the semester, you know, kind of balancing these two kind of ancient philosophical approaches, which is uh, Socrates talked about the unexamined life is not worth living. But then there's also the old adage of ignorance is bliss. Right. And so, so, you know, we kind of fall somewhere in between those two extremes, either overthinking about our lives or not thinking about it enough. And right, I, I tend to try to push people more towards the, the Socratic approach of, of, of uh, analyzing one's own life. Again, for, for right, right um, with you, Andy, whatever it, whatever kind of outcome that leads to, whatever choices you make, at least it's choices that you thought about, right? Rather than kind of getting in the current of life that kind of push sweeps you downstream and you wake up 40 years later and it's like, how in the world did I get here? Right? Yeah. So that idea of living more intentionally is, is kind of at the heart of what I try to do. Absolutely. I agree with that too. I think if you're going to be a citizen in the world, you should have at least some level of being informed about the world around you. It's just, uh, that's always been my basic principle for going through life and interacting with people. But, um, yeah, that's my two cents on that. <laughs> I won't dive too much into that, but I do feel like I almost need to apologize to any of our listeners who are currently students <laughs> listening to all the amazing research and courses that you guys are teaching uh, currently this semester, because for our listeners who don't know, this is your last semester here at the School of Communication. So we just wanted to take a moment to thank you on behalf of all of the students within the school for your contributions and the impacts you've made on literally thousands of students' educational experience. Oh. And as you leave the School of Communication, do you have a favorite memory or tradition from your time here? Well, well, first of all, I want to say um, students in the School of Communication are in great hands. Um, the school has hired amazing faculty over the last 20 years who are doing phenomenal and important work and are amazing teachers and, and people will be great. Uh, students will be great. 
we don't have, I don't know that we have that many traditions that are, uh, we have a, um, every year when we come back, they call it a retreat. And I always put it in quotes, like retreat, it's just an all day meeting. <laughs> and that's a tradition that nobody really loves, <laughs> including, and I can say that freely because our, our current director, uh, Dr. Merle has, has been a critic of that. And I think he's trying to make that better. But for me, a good tradition that's not so related the school but it is tangentially is going to the mickey faust club shows um, that are run by our treasured colleague uh donna nudd who's one of the reasons i'm here is because my last meeting when i interviewed at fsu was with donna nudd who was chair at the time and i wasn't entirely sure i wanted to come here but i thought she's here and she's chair something must be going on that's good here and so that's a tradition I've enjoyed, and we often go with some of our colleagues, and we get to watch Donna Nutt and her amazing partner Terry on stage, yes. and it just feels, I think that's one of the best things about Tallahassee is uh, the Mickey Faust Club, so that's something I'll miss for sure. Absolutely. Aww. I have Dr. Nutt as a professor this semester. I'm her queer studies class, and she is just yeah. a powerhouse. I love her, and Terry's come in as she a guest is. speaker multiple times to talk about Mickey Faust, and using theater as a communicative tool uh, we need to get her on the podcast one of these days because she's just electric do not hesitate yeah <laughs> right but but plan plan for it to be a multi-part series because <laughs> terry and donna have stories after stories and you will you will you won't want to stop them you will just want to keep hearing more and more yeah that's true uh, so so that's yeah true. you may want to plan a season around the two of them <laughs> they, they are amazing yeah get started Ooh, yes keep that in mind mckinnon andy's graduating yeah. this semester so sadly she'll be leaving uh -huh. the podcast team but she'll listen you can listen in on the terry and donna episodes <laughs> oh, thank you yeah, congrats Thank you. I'm actually kind of yeah. bummed now because I'm. Tr I only have two weeks left, so I've been trying to like cram a bunch of stuff on like a bucket list that I want to get done before I leave. And I've actually never seen any of the Mickey Faust shows, but I see them all the time down in the railroad district because I'm yeah. all the time. And I've always been so interested in what that is. And I think this is about the second or third time now that it's been like recommended to me. So yeah. I might need to pop in there, see if there's some if they are doing something within the next couple of weeks that I can go see. Yeah, or when you come back to yeah. visit. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Right. I think I think for me in terms of the, the, the memories that I have and the, the kind of it's it's really just day to day interactions with my with students too. But you know, students come and go and that's 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 part of the life of the professor is you, you kind of get to know some students, and then, like you, Andy, they're gone <laughs> right? yeah. uh, after a couple of years. But the beautiful thing about the life of a professor is that you have amazing colleagues that stay. And so, you know, I'm going to miss the laughter of Steve McDowell and, and Natasha Henson-Turner. You know, it's I'm, I'm going to uh, miss Russell Clayton stopping by in my office and talking Davis Houck making up nicknames for my kid. I mean, those are the, you know, Andy Opal ranting about whatever Everything. Andy's ranting Everything. about on that, that, right, on that particular day, right? It's those, it's, it's the people that have meant so much to me uh, and those moments that 
right that mark our lives in in particular ways uh they've been a part of it for me for the last 23 years um and and so that right that's that's that that's special and it, it's something that we get to take with us uh when we leave for but sure. it's also what we will miss when we do absolutely yeah i think those kind of moments are things that you don't think much about in the moment but in your position now um as you are making your exit it just becomes all the more like sentimental um but those are wonderful memories and traditions that you both got to bring up yeah, yeah. but uh to wrap up today's interview we wanted to end on a little bit of a lighter note and give our listeners one last opportunity to learn a couple more things about you guys they may not have known about you before so um we're gonna do like a quick little like lightning round of questions <laughs> like easy like two two or three of them so um short answers are short answers <laughs> bring it that, that's, uh, short answers are not my forte it's not his specialty no. yeah that's why I'm, I'm pronouncing many, it i'm many things uh, i am not pity <laughs> well i think these answers might uh invite some longer explanations too so i'll go ahead and kick us off with our first one which is what is the weirdest fact you know off the top of your head i, I don't know that it's a weird fact right mm -hmm. i think it's weird most people will think it's weird i don't I, I i used to write about sports i follow sports you know some I, I i don't really follow baseball that much but i can name all of the starting players from the 1975 cincinnati reds team that won the world series still today and so that's kind of weird i don't know i, I don't know why i remember that but I, I can name all the position players for the 1975 Big Red Machine. I know. Art's answer makes me think, you know, if it's alternative, early alternative music from the 1980s, I could probably tell you who produced the record and, and you know, the, the, the names of the band members I would many times. And, well, and, and here, but yeah, 80s, kind of 80s alternative music in particular that originated in Great Britain. <laughs> If, if, if my life is somehow in the balance and Laura had to answer trivia about any of that, I, I, I know I will survive. <laughs> Including, if there was, uh, you, you guys probably don't remember because you weren't born, right? There used to be a show called Name That Tune. And it was, oh, yeah. a, it was a, you know, a, a game show. And they would play just the beginning notes to songs. First three notes. People would have to guess what song it is. And you and you could, you know, it, you could, they, they would describe the song a little bit and you could say, well, I can name that song in two notes. I can name that song in one note. Laura can name every song published or, or that that came out in from Great Britain during the 1980s that was alternative with like two notes. She was like, oh, that's, like, I, I've never even heard of that group <laughs> or that song. Much but don't, less don't ask me to name it after two notes. Don't ask me anything about current pop music. <laughs> uh, if, if Art's life depended on my answers to that, he would die. Yeah, I'm, I'm gone. And, and, He's gone. And if somebody's asking that question, yeah, go ahead and kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, got, I, got, I got nothing. Um, what's the best uh, piece of advice you've ever been given? Okay, so mine's not advice. 
per se, it, or it wasn't advice given to me personally, but um, the poet Maya Angelou talked about the need to have an attitude of gratitude. And she said it in a much more beautiful way than, than I did. And I think that's something I appreciated hearing her say, and I've tried to, to practice every day. Like, okay, I can think about everything that's all the horrible things that are going on, but I can also have an attitude of gratitude and be really grateful every day for what's good, no matter how small it is. I think, I think for me, well, two, two pieces. One was a piece of advice I told myself, right? <laughs> which was, yeah, you should ask her out. And so that was about <laughs> 21 years ago. Uh, no, no, not that long ago. How long, long was it? Yeah, it was about nearly 21 years ago. Right? We got married 2002. in 2004. It's 2002, yeah. Yeah, 2002. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I took that advice, and I, and I did, and I'm, I'm a better man for it. Uh, but my, you know, my dad uh, was a, a professor, too, um, and he had this uh, little plaque in his office. And it was a little bit of his approach to raising me and my two brothers. Uh, but it's a quote that tends to be attributed to Benjamin Franklin, whether he really came up with it or not, I don't know. But it's always appear as the duck. Yes. Calm and placid on the surface, but paddling like hell underneath. And so that's, that's kind of the way that I try to live my life is. I, I feel like I work pretty hard, but I don't appear to be as stressed out as maybe... I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Laura, you, you, what? You, you, you agree? You disagree? You, you don't appear to be as stressed out as I am all the time. No. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and wrap up the interview here. I really like ending on that positive advice for all of our listeners here today. Um, something that they can take cool. away with them in addition to all of your fantastic answers throughout this interview. So thank you both again so much for being guest on today's episode. We really appreciate it and appreciate all of your contributions to the FSU School of Communication so far. We will definitely miss you guys once you're gone. Thank you. We'll, we appreciate you and, and we sure will miss the, the fantastic students at FSU. I've just continually been grateful for and amazed by the students. I'm, I'm a little worried that how can I find better students to work with? I don't know. But good luck yeah. to you both. Thank yeah, you. indeed. And thanks, thanks for your your kind words and for the invitation, the opportunity to uh, uh, to be with you today, and and to in some way for us to thank the the, uh, the folks in the school of comms who have meant so much to us and will continue to mean so much to us in the years to come so thank you thank, thank you, you. i'm 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 actually one of those students mckinnon was talking about i'm angry now that i didn't get to take any classes <laughs> with you guys you guys are awesome <laughs> it was great to actually talk to you and meet you guys <laughs> <laughs>